Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. Tonight, we have a special guest from the Northwoods. We have Brian Schaefer. Brian, how are you doing tonight? Wonderful. How are you guys? Excellent. We're all doing good, I think. I just say, and as always, we have our co-hosts, Brad and Carrie Hoppy from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And... I am. I guess I'll call. I'll call you the host. I'm Jeff Widman with Team Rhino Outdoors. So, um, well, let's start with uh, background, Brian. Let's get right into it. Let's talk about your background in musky fishing. What got what got you musky fishing, and then uh, what got you uh, into guiding, and then we'll go into a couple other topics. So, if you want to let us know a little background on you and your guide business that would be awesome okay well starting off i started off trout fish trout streams and uh with my father that's kind of where i started fishing in general and then uh started fishing some lakes around our house and caught a pike and i thought they were pretty cool read about muskies and i finally caught a muskie and from that point on 100% 100% muskies, and I've been guiding now for about 27 years. Um, guided down Pewaukee, Okachi for about three or four years, and then I've been up in northern Wisconsin here for about 24 years. Um, so that's where we're at right now. But yeah, trout fishing got me into fishing when I was probably about six with my dad. What... Um... What area of northern Wisconsin are you generally fishing, is, uh, just to let the listeners know? Yeah, I'm in Lincoln, Oneida, and Vilas County. That's where majority of my fishing is. So I live in Oneida, so I got Lincoln on one side, Vilas on one side, so I'm fishing just a big circle in that area. And what was the GPS coordinate of the biggest fish you caught this year? Well, that was, uh, <laughs> you got your pen ready? <laughs> <laughs> You, you sell those all the time, right, Brian? What's that? You sell those uh, latitude, longitude? Well, I always send you, yeah, well, I always send you a picture on the map where we're at. <laughs> picture I send you. <laughs> well, in all, in all honesty, Brian, um, it we looks... We sell them to Jeff. <laughs> well, there, there was a particular guide up in Green Bay that actually was going out of business, and he sold all his waypoints, so... I got a, I got a bunch of them. Me and a, me and like six buddies went in and bought them. Um, was it worth it? I don't know. I haven't been, I haven't, probably haven't fished Green Bay since I bought I think them. I'm gonna start selling brads. I'm sure you could probably find somebody to buy them. <laughs> um, you know the funny part is we'll go out fishing, Jeff. Sorry, what was that? I said we'll go out fishing. Yeah, Green Bay. We should. I know we talk about it all the time, but it just never happens. It's one of those things that I got to actually schedule it like in January. That's where I'm at right now with uh, fishing trips. I'm in the right. about the middle of a bunch of fishing trips, and that was all stuff I scheduled back in January. Unfortunately, I didn't really think too much when I was scheduling these dates, like how this was all going to play into trying to keep up with um, two businesses and four kids. I'll, I got to tell you, it's not going that well. <laughs> but in all honesty, you've been off to a great start this season. Um, it looks like you've been putting some big fish in the boat. It looks like opening weekend you did well. You've been putting some fish in the boat in Green Bay. Um, you want to talk a little bit about, um, I guess, changing of tactics and 
what um, what's helping put fish in the boat for you this year without getting into you know intimate details but if you could give the listeners I guess an overview of kind of like what's what's going on on the water what's helping you put fish in the boat this year okay well I mean it yeah it's been a good year and I feel really uh, lucky how things went I mean I've definitely had some days where it's totally opposite but I mean starting with the opener um, you know we hit pre-spawn which I always like pre-spawn you know we hardly ever get pre-spawn up here and even in the southern opener um so we're getting those bigger females that are up shallow eating before the spawn you know after the spawn they're not eating that much so we did get lucky enough to get that and um hit a couple nice fish opening weekend and um basically one one day the um crappie phantom was just on fire and um stuck couple mid 40s upper 40 so that was a, that was a nice opener and going through the season here now um kind of just hitting certain bodies of water and the same thing with up here we hit a little pre-spawn so we got some nice fish early and um from there certain lakes have been on certain ones haven't and we've been concentrating on those hot lakes and uh doing pretty well on them you know getting some nice fish and week by week now it's been changing and um now we're starting to find our fish out deeper you know around the summer patterns now so it's just a whole nother ball game now or in what first week in july now so we're we're, we're getting into our normal summer patterns here and um i always like the last week in june first week in july for big fish so you know i'm looking forward to the next week here two weeks well, we're in the first week. We're in the first week of July already, and um, you know, I, I honestly can say here on my home waters, um, we we're still about two weeks behind. And honestly, you know, I'm ready to shift gears and start casting. I've been open water trolling the whole month of June, and as the month of June progressed, we just kept doing better and better. But um, I think it would carry for another two weeks, actually. Um, but uh, I'm ready to start casting now. I mean, we've had a lot of fun. But uh, do you feel like you're still two weeks behind? Or do you think you're right back on schedule? I think some waters are still two weeks, and some waters are pretty much right on schedule right now. You know, um, actually, a couple of waters by day, we could, like, one day we're finding them on the inside weed edge and in the weeds. Literally, two days later, we came back. And there was nothing inside, hardly a few, you know, smaller fish, and everything was on the weed edge and out suspended. And that just happened like in a day. And then we had, you know, you guys probably had the same winds for two weeks, northeast winds, east winds, and now we had west winds, so the location's been changing there too. But the lakes I've been fishing and the, and the rivers, you know, everything's pretty much in their summer patterns now. So, you know, we got that... uh um, grass coming up and uh we're getting fish deep off the grass so yeah it's really strange i mean opening weekend here you know it's the first saturday in june every year in uh, minnesota and don't get me wrong there's some early spots that usually produce cabbage and start growing pretty good and there was cabbage there but the normal spots really weren't there like they normally would be for opener 
Um, but I'll tell you in the last couple of weeks, it's shot up. So, you know, get out there and start looking for some of those weeds because, um, they're shooting up quick, you know, yeah, they, exactly over here too. It's they're actually beautiful in the last few weeks. There are spots that we used to have weeds over here 10 years ago. We haven't had them now this year. They're beautiful pots sitting there. So I mean, just what you're saying there, it's, it's been great. That's good stuff. I know that uh, you've produced a couple big fish already this year, Brian, and, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how your year ends up. I mean, you, you're always on fish. You're known for being on fish. And uh, I think that uh, you're just getting settled in with the season. It's going to be, it's going to be a wild ride. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the year. Um, this week I calmed down, you know, I got my folks up from Arizona, so I kind of take off for the next few days here, but then we, we get hard at it after the fourth here. And, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So it's nice getting a couple of big fish out early, and uh, you know we're just getting into big fish season here. So good stuff. So Jeff, you you've been running around the country like a wild man. I have. Are you getting some fish on on film for your YouTube channel? Yes. So far, I believe we have 25 on film, and we've picked up most of those in oh probably the last two weeks. We didn't really do much filming. Um, early season, we did a little bit, I would say early season. I mean, early season for me is Memorial day and later, I don't typically get out in the South that often. So I spent some time with you, Brad. We got a couple by you. Then I went, um, I've been to Madison. We got five in Madison. I took a trip up to Northern Wisconsin. I got four up there. Um, what else did we do? Green Bay. We got one in Green Bay. Uh, then I was up by Hayward. And we had a little bit of a mishap, so we got two in the net, but we only got to pull one out of the net. Uh, you'll see that on video. That's pretty awesome. Um, I think we've talked about that before. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but I actually looked, I looked back on the audio, and I think it surprisingly isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be because yeah, we both weren't real, weren't real impressed with that. And then uh, I just got back early this morning. I got back at 2 o'clock this morning from St. Clair, and I got to see the best of both worlds in St. Clair. I got to see how good it can be. And I also got to see how tough it could be. Um, day one, we ended up getting, I think we got nine bites. Um, but we only got one to stick. It was a lot of short hitting, nipping fish. Even the one that we got, it just barely hooked it. But then, um, it, it started to change because we went out with Jason Quintano. who We had on, um, a previous episode of backlash and, so he had, he ran us a morning, like we knew about it when we booked the trip. He's like, ah, unfortunately I already have a night trip booked for the first day that you're going to be there. The next day will be open wide open. So, um, for, fortunately for Jason, unfortunately for us, the bite actually turned around at night cause he ended up getting six fish in the six hours that he ran at night and he got a 51. Um, he said he was six of seven. He said he got, f he said it took a while though, because it, the bite didn't actually pick up until probably like seven o'clock at night. And then he got, um, five fish in an hour. But I mean, the good thing for us is that on day two, we went out and I mean, we literally had, we had a 49 and a half, like right away in the morning. I don't know. We, we didn't even have all the lines set. Um, the biggest, that biggest one came on, a, um, orange perch matlock. 
John Betty from Stealth Tackle was with us. He was actually letting out line on it, and he couldn't feel the bait letting out line anymore. He couldn't let out line anymore, and he grabbed it out of the holder, and that's where the muskie hit when he was letting line out. Um, at one point, we had um, three fish in five minutes. We actually had one fish that was that was struggling a little bit, so we were carrying for it a little bit. So we had to clear out the um, release tank in order to get the other one back in the water. In order, We had to clear one out in order to get one back in. So we would have been able to have a triple essentially because there would have been three on board at one time, but we had to get we had to take one out of the um, the revival tank. And for people that don't know, uh, we sh- we shot this on our YouTube video. It'll be in in an episode that it's probably be a little ways out yet because we have quite a bit of content built up now. But out in St. Clair, um, when they're running those big boats, they don't they don't net the fish and then let the fish sit in the net like they would typically in you know like uh like if we were fishing in Wisconsin or Minnesota or whatever on these big boats. They just keep them going. So what they do is they have a revival tank. This particular one was 58 inches long. It's a clear revival tank. It's got water pumping in the front of it. So basically you bring the boat, the fish on board, un- unhook it as quick as you can, and then you set it in the revival tank to make sure that it's upright and doing just fine before you release it back into the water. So like I said, with our triple, we would have had it. We would have had three on board, but we had to keep one. We wanted to keep one in the tank because it was it was. I mean, it was doing okay, but we just wanted to make sure the guides out on St. Clair, obviously they, uh, it's all natural reproduction out there. So they, they do everything they can to take really good care of these fish. So Jason just wanted to make sure it was doing fine. So in order to, we didn't want to have three of them in the revival tank at one time. So we, we, uh, released the one before we even took pictures of it and then we pulled it out. So we have pictures of a double. So that was pretty cool. Um, as I continued on, I think we ended up getting, I don't know, like two, two more three more somewhere like that in the morning i think we had how many fish did we get we got i think we got nine so we had eight eight of them by noon and then from noon until like four it was pretty stone cold and right when we're ready to pack up like it was literally the last rip of the day that same um matlock that got the 49 and a half also got one that was probably 46 um big fat one and um, you know that's another thing that people talk about and i think we touched on it in that podcast with jason is just how everybody thought back in the day that these were skinny long fish in st Clair, but every one of these fish that we caught where they were just built um it was i mean it's crazy it was a great trip like i said i got to see the best of both worlds out on st Clair. um I, i learned a lot too uh their style of trolling is just different um than what we do the baits that they run are are um I'd say more regional than what we do. I mean, obviously they run matlocks and things like that, but they also do a lot with like ziggies and lokes, um, things like that. Um, so it was, it was a good trip. And again, you know, it's keeping with the theme of everywhere. They're a little bit behind too. Water temperatures are behind, but Jason said, you know, it's kind of been like that. Some days are really good. They're still getting fish every day, but, um, some days are obviously better than others. And we, we saw that. So that was pretty cool. Did you guys troll the whole time? yeah that's all we did um typically for jason he runs mostly trolling trips to start the season out he said he really doesn't start doing a lot of casting until like august and he said that if we wanted to get into the best casting of the season it's probably november he's like that's when we see really good numbers and really big fish casting too he said they they're just more concentrated into certain areas um whereas we we even saw it too there was just certain pods of fish you troll through a pod you'd pick off one or one or two and then you'd move on and you know that's kind of how they are like out there it's it's not so much like northern wisconsin it seems like they're they're not 
uh, solo predators, but there's not as many of them that pack up. I've noticed it on Green Bay too, um, where like a pack they'll hunt in packs because they're basically just herding bait fish. Because like on St. Clair, there's not a ton of structure. It's kind of like Green Bay. It's shallow, and they just follow bait fish around. And when you get into them, you can get into multiple fish at one time. And that, like I said, it's pretty similar to my my uh, th- what I've noticed on Green Bay with my time spent on Green Bay is that those fish pack up too. And it's not, I don't want to say it happens all the time, but it's not super uncommon to get a double if you're trolling on Green Bay. That seems like Minnesota Cooper had, right? Yeah, you know, I've, I in my career, I've had a double one time. Um, I, last year, actually, we, uh, we should have had a double. Um, unfortunately we didn't realize that another bait had been eaten at the time of trolling. Um, but the double that I did get was casting actually, uh, two clients at the same time ended up with, uh, a fish each. So that was kind of cool. But, um, you know, I, I think our fish kind of pack up a lot of times um when there's good bait concentration in the weeds they will pack up and you know the old in my opinion is an old wise tale really i mean if you catch one you better leave that area um not the case really you know if there's one there's usually more here in minnesota well it's the same thing when we were out there the other day um yesterday i think it was Steve Jensen was just talking to us about a story that he was talking about Mille Lacs and Mille Lacs in its heyday and how unbelievable that fishery was too. And he said that he fished a weed bed that was probably, I don't know, I'm guessing it was maybe like an acre. And he said he ended up pulling like five fifties off of it. It was the most incredible bite he's ever seen. Um, just it probably wasn't even an acre. It might, it might not have been. I mean, when he, when he explained it to us, he was like, yeah, it was from like this boat to that boat away. And that boat wasn't super far away. And he's like, it was just loaded. And he's like, those probably weren't even all of them that were in there. And that's just, you know, sometimes how muskies are. So like you said, Brad, um, some people think that if you get a fish out of a weed bed that they just move on, there's no more fish there. But they're they're definitely not by themselves. Well, Mille Lacs was kind of a, (laughs) it was such a unique deal. I mean, you could cruise with the trolling motor and stand on the bow and just watch um, in that really ultra shallow water. And you would go, say, 300 yards, and you would see 50 to 100 fish. Um, when they were up there, you know, just laying in the sand, it was so wild. And it's hard for anybody to imagine if they didn't actually see it. But those were some pretty cool days. Yeah, but, I mean, even if you relate that to northern Wisconsin, um, just, you know, whatever it was, two weekends ago, we got four, like we fished the morning. It was tough. We got nothing. So I switched lakes in the afternoon and in probably like a two hour stretch, we got four fish, but three of them came within pretty short proximity of each other. I mean, not, not more than probably four boat lengths apart. Um, the wind, the wind was blowing in, um, the wind was blowing into that spot and it was, uh, that, so you had to, a lot of wind, but you also had the warmer water temperatures there and it must've just concentrated a a fair amount of fish because, um, like I said, they were stacked up in there pretty good. So it was, um, it was kind of one of those deals where, um, you know, we, we picked off multiple fish too. So the, the theory applies to, you know, more places than, I mean, like I said, some people think it's just a, a green Bay thing or a St. Clair thing or, you know, out, out by you thing, but it, it happens everywhere. Well, there's no doubt, but one of the things that I was going to mention, you know, Jeff was just talking about wind. Um, 
for whatever reason, the last three weeks here, we're we're having like three to four wind changes a day. Our weather patterns are really screwy right now. Um, wind can make, you know, it drives fish. There's no doubt about it. And um, no doubt. drive warmer water temps to a certain area. Um, it also drives the bait to a certain area. But when we have like three to four wind changes a day, it makes it tough. Are you seeing that as well, Brian? Exactly. And that's what I was just going to say. We uh, we started off casting last week, and it was a little tough. And the guy had a hard time casting, you know, a little bigger guy. And he was like, well, I said, well, let's do some trolling on, on the basin here. We'll work some of the breaks. And uh, he was all for it. And for two or three weeks, we've been having that northeast, east wind. So we had a lot of fish piled up down on that um, southeast, southwest end. There was two spots. We Every time we made a turn around this corner, we had a lot of fish piled up there. Halfway through the day, we the winds turned out of the south-southwest, and then later in the day, all of our fish came like halfway down. It was like they were almost moving with the wind. It was, it was a strange spots where the wind came through these two rock areas. And on um, the morning when the east when we had the east winds, they came from one side, and then when the southwest winds hit up, they all started beating on the other side there. That's amazing. You know, I, I think we talked about that with Quintano a couple episodes ago as well. Um, you know, he was talking about visibility, and, and I'm wondering if you can relate to that too in northern Wisconsin. Um, what he's talking about is the mud lines and you don't want to be too far into that mud line but he talked about visibility where you could see two to three feet um i don't get to see as many mud lines in, in my bodies of water i'm fishing some ultra clear water so can you relate to those mud lines at all where you're fishing um, on the floor is remember last week no it was a really clear lake um so no i mean we had um Mud lines, hard bottom to um, soft bottom, basically, is where we were finding the fish in both of those areas, but there's mud lines. No, not on the clear water where I was. But when we, when we fish the um, flowage or even in the bay, you know, I find that big time, you know, for sure. But yeah. not up here, not too much. No, we don't, we don't have that. It's been interesting this year for me in my open water trolling. Normally, I would be spending my time from 80 to 100 feet of water. And this whole year, I've been I've been shallower. And, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Matt Seifert here a week ago, and he's up on Vermilion, and he was trolling as well. And most of his fish are shallower than normal. Now, Vermilion is in a deep, deep body of water like what I normally fish out here. Um, but the fish have been shallower all the way around from everything I've heard from everybody. Um, the transitions between uh, the sand and the mud, which become really, really apparent with the side imaging, um, definitely was a key. And I, I know the bait is hanging there. First, so all of a sudden, now the muskies are hanging there. I mean, it just yep. makes sense. But uh, I'd like to know why, um, because the water temps really don't vary that much. But um, they definitely are hanging a little bit shallower than normal, I would say. Well, we were seeing that up to about a week week ago. In this last week, I noticed the summer pattern start, at least up in my area here, kicking in. So, so, so Brian, especially with this heat wave. 
Is there a difference in, like you say, from your spring pattern to your summer pattern? Do you see a difference in like a, a bug hatch or anything like that that would make them shift or theoretically make them shift? Uh, you know what? With the bug hatch, I don't. I don't have the answers. I don't. I, don't. I mean, I'm seeing them now. They're definitely. We've got mayfly hatches on all of our weeks now. With the heat wave that we have now, and the, and the water temperatures just dropped. I mean, uh, jumped about five, six degrees in the last few days. Um, but as far as that being the summer pattern, I've seen the summer pattern happening before the bug hatch, even. Right. And certain lakes, we're finding them suspended, and certain lakes, they're all on the outside edge, the weed edge. But as far as with the bugs, I guess I don't have for that. Well, we're Brad, what, what's your opinion? We're definitely looking for somebody to um, help us with this whole bug hatch deal. Um, <laughs> I know. I, I do. <laughs> but, um, well, there has to be a rope. There has to be a relationship to a point. Well, there's no doubt. Bug hatches are, are a key point, but I would really like to get in depth on one of these podcasts with somebody that can actually explain some of the, why are they hatching here? Why are they not hatching here? What's the norm? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> we, yeah, we know I that mayflies can lay dormant. Yeah. For, or the cycle. You know, what's the cycle? And for the most part, everybody studies the rivers. Like the fly fishermen are probably the smartest people when it comes to bug hatches. But, um, you know, I'm searching for somebody. So somebody out there, one of our listeners knows somebody that we could talk to um, who would definitely, we'd welcome it in a big way. For sure. I'd love to hear it myself because I'll see it and every, every day is still different. So I can't come to any conclusion on anything, you know, right. one day you think this and the next day it's different. So it's okay. Well, it's not bad. I do believe they eat mayflies. There's no doubt that, you know, I mean, if you look at like the Cisco's that we're fishing over, I mean, Cisco's become our structure when, when we're in the open water, but, uh, you know, what I can't understand is I'm not seeing in the deep, deep water, I'm not seeing those Cisco or the uh, mayflies hatching, which would be the norm. Um, hence the reason that I think that these fish are a little bit shallower. So, you know, we had a couple little may ha mayfly hatches, but really not, no, not, not normal. Major. We don't even have a ton of lake flies yet. No, well, it's, it's been a strange year. And, and we had a ton of snowfall this past year. And so Matt Seifert and I were talking about that. And we were talking, you know, if they lay dormant for five to seven, eight years, whatever it might be, um, being that we had so much snow on top of the ice this past winter, did that change something? Or did that make something happen that they won't hatch till next year? I mean, those are the questions that we're really looking for, right? I I agree. I mean, some lakes are really, uh, we're getting some lakes up here that are pretty strong and other lakes, there's absolutely nothing. You know, I've seen some lake flies and even the mayfly hatches that I've, I've seen, the, the forages are pretty strong right now with lake uh, mayfly hatches, but some of the lakes that are normally pretty strong haven't had anything yet this year. We usually have mayflies in our yard. We're probably what, what would be like five miles from the lake? Five miles, and yeah, probably five miles from two different lakes in two different directions. But we usually have them in the yard in the morning or whatever. 
or if you're in outside in the evening late enough, you'll see them. But we have, I haven't seen any, and I think I've only seen two fly, like or mayflies on the lake. Well, I've been on the water every day, and the thing is, is that one morning we seen a bunch of uh, mayflies. Um, I've been bouncing lake to lake and doing different things, but um, I will say my home water actually had kind of like the oil slicks, if you will, of bug hatch one day. And then after that, we haven't seen them at all. And it's just strange. I don't know. It's something that uh, I do know a couple different biologists that maybe can help key in on this. And Jeff, we should, I'll, I'll reach out to some of them and see if they can help us too. But it's, uh, it's interesting stuff. Sure. Yeah, well, the other one too that I thought about that maybe could help clue us into Brad that we had talked about getting on, and we it was just a family vacation type of thing. But we want to talk to with Jordan Weeks from the Wisconsin DNR. I wonder how much you know he would maybe know about that kind of stuff too. It starts with bugs, and it ends with the top predator, and um, and so if we can key in on those deals, it's all going to make us better anglers. I mean, that's the bottom line. So you're saying that you might actually learn something too, huh? Hey, you know what? I learned something every day. I'm, you know, I might be old, Jeff, but you know what? I'm I'm still learning stuff every stinking day, uh, and I think that's what makes me want to continue musky fishing. It truly is. So speaking of you and being old, all right. So like probably I don't know how many episodes back, way early in the beginning, we were talking about John Alden Knights and the little book and all that stuff. Well. Out on St. Clair, <laughs> the 23-year-old um, charter, not the, uh, what do they call him? Not deckhand. I don't know. First, first mate. First, first mate. mate. That's it. He's he's talking about John all the night and, like, how, you know, what, what type of moon phase it is based off of that because he, like you like you said, believes that that's, that's the best way to go about it. That's the, that's the true, accurate one. So I thought I'd give you props on that because, I mean, he's definitely younger than all of us. He went to the book, and he didn't have a yep, map. he went to the book. Well, Brian, help me. When uh, when that episode of that podcast came out, Brian texted me um, right away, and he told me where I could find John Alden Knights, only if you have an iPhone, though. So go ahead and share that, Brian. Well, yeah, it's, it's fishing times on an iPhone, and I went about, and everything that's on fishing times comes from on right and his book so it's fishing times on iphone i have i haven't checked them to the book to see if they're exactly the same but as far as that program on my iphone it says it's from john Wright. so then i called brad told brad so i don't know have you compared them to your book brad i i haven't compared them to my book um you know it's really strange i still look in the book every day but um, I, I have been watching, following that app, but I haven't compared the two together. The one thing that I can say this year, <laughs> I haven't found any relationship with any of those times at this point. Most of my fish have come at oddball times. Dude, I 100% agree with you this year. For the last five plus years, it seems like every year the windows get stronger and stronger. And I think a lot of it comes from pressure and whatnot, but this year, it's been very odd, very odd. Some of our best bites have been in nowhere near windows, just middle of nowhere. That's weird that you say that over there. 
because I'm having the same thing up here. Well, I, I just, you know, it's funny. I, I told my clients this. They go, well, have you looked in the book? Because they know. I mean, they've been fishing with me for years. They know that uh, I follow John Alden Knight's book. And, and they're like, so what time is it going to happen today? And I'm like, guys, you know, here's the deal. I, they haven't followed. They're not reading the book this year for some reason. And um, it's funny. They look at me like, really? And um, what I will tell you is that uh, <laughs> we have had some certain times of the day where I could call out and I could just say, well, 6 o'clock, it's probably going to happen. And I, I don't know why. Um, but one o'clock and six o'clock has been really good for me and I don't know why, but, um, I, I think we got to send some of those books down to them fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know the biggest one that we got in St. Clair came nothing to do with the moon phase. It was just, I mean, it was early, it was earlier morning, but it was still wasn't like, you know, five in the morning where we were, it was like sun up. It was just nothing. It was early morning, but wasn't it wasn't in a moon phase and it you know we still caught big we still caught the biggest fish we caught so i would say the st Clair muskies are on the same path well the other thing i can tell you and and what i've told some of these clients of mine is that unfortunately you know every year there's there's some a key point okay a key time frame one year it might be um the morning the a.m minor might be the one that's on fire all year long right um and here's the problem though we only get six months to fish these fish right so you know basically by the end of the season the end of musky season we're finally dialed in on when they want to eat and guess what the season's over but you know the the neat thing about this is is you can carry it over into your hunting season as well um i do a lot of bow hunting and those same time frames that you learn from your musky season can be taken over into the bow hunting field so something to think about as well yeah so brian i know one thing i noticed on the water and bread i don't i don't know if you noticed it too but just just because they're not in the moon phase doesn't mean that there isn't there's still the windows they're just not necessarily revolving around the moon right now and but for us it seems like when you catch one you're going to catch multiples in that same within that same window it doesn't necessarily just revolve around the moon are you guys seeing the same thing on the water i am for sure I mean, you're, everything you guys are saying is the exact same thing I'm seeing up here. Um, we get one fish, and it's there's it's there's a window happening, but not by the moon. And I mean, we're having like the wind wind changes. We're seeing windows. We're we're getting bites, but without that, we're we're getting those bites, and we're getting multiple fish for no reason you know there's no wind change there's no window there's no moon phase there's no so i am definitely seeing that right well it all boils down to hard work again that's the thing i mean putting time in on the water um i i there's no other real answer and, and as we progress through this season we'll start putting some patterns together there's no doubt i mean we always do so yeah but i you know, like you were saying, the hard work part. So that's just lets you lets you believe that this year, you're probably not going to want to slack off outside of the moon windows. You're going to want to keep fishing hard all day long because you never know what the window is going to be. There will be a window, right? And yep. but it also seems like the windows, you know, aren't wide open as far as you know, like 
The windows aren't real long, but there are definitely windows when the fish are more active and you're going to want to make sure that any, but you don't know when the window is because like I said, it's not necessarily moon based. So you pretty much got to fish hard all day. There's no doubt, Jeff. You know, one of the things that I, <laughs> I've really found this year more so than any other year too, is that uh, generally speaking, the years previous with side imaging, I would be able to see, well, there's some muskie, there's a muskie and I'd find them throughout the whole day. This year, I don't know where those fish are going. I don't know if they were sliding way deep and just hanging down right on the bottom. Um, when, well, either that or they might, Carrie just said, maybe really shallow. But, you know, the, the crazy part to it is, is that when I see a window coming, all of a sudden I'm seeing six, eight, ten muskies. And I'm like, all right, let's get ready because one of these rods are going to go off. And then all of a sudden, over a two to three hour period, it disappear on me again. And we might have a three, four hour lull and um, I'm not marking them anymore. But, uh, you know, those little the little idiosyncrasies that you learn in the boat over a period of days, uh, you know, it's just pieces to that puzzle. Exactly. Time on the water for sure. Yeah, that goes back to like us talking, you know, beforehand, Brian, talk, you were like, oh, well, a certain lake is doing better than another lake. And that's when I asked you, you know, what's, how do you figure that out other than time on the water? And that's, that's what you said, time on the water. That's what's going to get you done. Which, exactly. Time on the water. It, it's difficult because I'm sure a lot of the guys that listen to our podcast aren't getting out on the water every single day. A lot of them are probably weekend warriors. So I'm, I'm assuming I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there's have, there's a bunch of anglers having success, but I'm also assuming that there's a bunch that are struggling because of that. Cause it's a little bit more unpredictable. I would say this year so far. I agree 100%. Like, generally, up in my area, I'm blessed that I have flowages to fish and some nice lakes. And generally, earlier in the season, the flowages are where you want to go. But this year, the lakes were on fire and the flowages were dead. And now the flowages just started turning on like two weeks ago. We started getting fish and, and now they're on fire. But it's like the total opposite of what it normally is this year compared to the past. Let me ask you this, Brian, do you have a network of guys that you work with? Um, I know for me, we, uh, we network with a bunch of different guides. And the neat thing about that is that, you know, we're sharing information. Um, the other side of it too, is that, you know, when you're guiding and you're on the water every day, you start putting some of these patterns together. You know, the guy that's only going to come up for the weekend to go fishing, unfortunately, things have changed since the follow or, or the, the past weekend. And I think that's a huge advantage for us guides. But uh, networking can be such a strong point to this whole deal, too. Oh, for sure. I, I think we all network to a point. Even guys that aren't guides, you know, they're talking to their friends that are out there fishing and putting things together. But, yeah, I do have a group of guys here we all talk and help each other out and find fish. The other neat thing is, is that that networking, I mean, it always blows my mind. Um, Cause I talked to Jason Quintano some and, you know, talking to you in Northern Wisconsin and the relationships between all the different bodies of water, whether you're in Minnesota or you're in Ohio, or you're wherever you might be. Um, we can relate back and forth pretty easily. And obviously, you know, it, it's amazing to me. But, um, you know, the weather patterns can be a factor, but 
ultimately, I think fish across the country are kind of doing the same type of thing. And so your network can be pretty broad, really. I, I agree. I mean, just this call that we're having right now, things that you guys were saying, it's like, wow, it's crazy because it's the exact same thing that's happening up here. And you're having it in Minnesota. He had it in, you know, Detroit. So it's 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 crazy. I mean, it really is. And the whole spawn this year has been really from Kentucky all the way, you know, north here. It's It's been a weird year, different year. Definitely got to put your time in this year. For sure. Let's talk a little bit about Kentucky, because I know you and uh, Mike Keys are, are fishing the PMTT together, and you guys had a pretty strong uh, first tournament. Yeah, that was that was a nice tournament. Um, we went down there, did a little pre-fishing, had a lot of action in uh, spots that he previously did well on, and um, checked out some other spots and moved some fish. But again, just like our opener up here, we had a few baits that if you didn't have that bait and that color pattern on, it, it was like there was no fish there. So um, it, it kind of worked out really well for us. And um, three fish, probably ran into five, six fish in a couple small areas. And um, came we got a fish in there. But unfortunately, we're, we must not have been the only people that came into that, that area and uh, kind of got locked out. So, but we did we did well. We ended up in third in PMTT. Um, Mike lost a nice one on the Sunday that might have put us up there. But you know, I'm sure everyone loses fish during these tournaments. So, I'm pretty happy with the third place. Yeah, for sure. I would be ecstatic. You know, I mean that that sets the tone for the rest of the year, and you guys are uh, fishing positive for sure. You know, exactly. you, said, you said something, Brian, that uh, I guess I got a question on. And you said, if you didn't have the right color, you probably weren't catching fish. What's your opinion of colors? <sighs> Certain baits, you know, sometimes I look at topwaters. A lot of times I would go, if you have confidence in the bait, you're going to catch fish. But then this year... And sometimes in the past, if you don't have a certain pattern or a certain color, you're not catching that fish. And I, we've witnessed it. We've used the same, like, during Kentucky and the PMTT, we had the same bait going in different patterns and never moved a fish. And we put that color pattern on, and within an hour, we'd have fish going. So... And I know even in trolling, I mean, we troll, and if you don't have that certain color pattern going, you're not, you're not getting fish. So, but, so I do believe in, in, in color patterns. Um, well, it's a, and, it's, and I know you do too. So, well, I do, you know, I've never been one to get really hung up on colors, but definitely this year, I, I have to relate back to that as well. Um, this year for me in the open water, I, I can tell you straight out, um, there's a 10 inch hex that uh, is a team rhino color and um, it's pink lemonade. Unbelievable how many fish I've caught on that bait this year. Um, the second color pattern I would say 
is walleye, which uh, Phantom is going to be making um, a Team Rhino color that's walleye that I've had. I had them custom make it for me a couple of years ago, and it's always been good for me in the open water. But um, I think Jeff scarfed that one up. It's going to be a new Team Rhino color. I think it is. And then nice. and, uh, Duff with uh, Supernatural, um, we've done very good on his uh, standard walleye. 10 inch uh, matlocks as well but i can tell you this last year it seemed like in the open water if i wasn't using one of our trolling girls um and a lot of times i use a lot of blue silvers but uh i wasn't catching or if i was using a blue silver grandma and this year i struggled and struggled and struggled to catch a fish on any grandma until this last weekend i ended up uh we got a really good fish on grandma so you know, it's so weird um, for whatever reason that that pink lemonade has shined all season for me so far. So um, hats good. off to uh, to Jeff and I have to <laughs> say thank you to my wife because she's the one that bought that one. So nice. Right, sorry. I said that's not a color Brad would have picked. I have to say, underwater, it's pretty Cisco-y, though. What, what is it? It's called pink, pink Lemonade. Okay. It has a yeah, mirage it... tape underneath it, and that mirage, I mean, it's honestly, in the open water, flash is really important. I want a lot of flash because it calls fish from a long ways. Even though that I'm in clear water, um, the mirage tape or hot stamp, um, definitely any holographics help in the open water in my opinion okay it's funny that you bring it up this year because this year is the year i really noticed it both like opening day of southern wisconsin opener and then in kentucky where color patterns were so intense because we'd have normally we have guys using the same baits one day top we're all throwing it and you get different colors going and the fisher just want that certain cadence or, you know, certain whatever, but of the same bait. But this year, like, Kentucky, it was a TRO. Um, um, Jeff, what's that white and orange one? Heat wave. You have heat wave. You did not have the heat wave going. I don't know how many phantoms we threw down there, but heat wave was the only thing that showed us fish. And we got all the fish on heat waves. Pre-fishing, yeah. But then opener southern was the crappie pattern. I had two different... Um, Phantoms going in front of me, everything the same. It wasn't crappie. We weren't catching a fish. So it's kind of weird. Now I, I got to ask, what's this heat wave? I, I'm going to have to go on the website and take a look, Jeff, because I don't even know what that it's one is. It's similar. To, it's got that same tape, similar to the pink lemonade one, but then it's just got yellow bars on it and an orange belly. It's um, it's a pretty simple color pattern. But I've, I've only fished down in Kentucky one time, and that was for the PMTT, and that same color was the one that caught fish down there. So I'm assuming the Kentucky fish like it. I actually f- liked the pattern, and that's why I had Phantom do it, because I was catching fish up in Green Bay on on that color pattern all the time. It's just, like I said, it's got that white. It's basically a pearl white bait with that prism tape on it with some yellow bars and an orange belly, and it seems to catch fish in a lot of different places. So do you have that in a hex bait as well? Um... Honestly, I don't know, but I probably should if I don't. I should. Right. Well, how about in any supernatural baits? Well, maybe it would be something we'd want to do. Um, 
I know I, I talked to Duff previously, and we had talked about that prism on there, and I know he was having a difficult time, excuse me, wanting to put that on there. Um, so I think that, um, but I think I think that problem is going to be solved. I guess from what I've been told. Yeah, he's he's got that figured out now. So I don't know that that's something that we definitely want to look at because um, I truly believe in his baits as well. I mean. The matlock, in my opinion, is uh, right up there. And between the hex, the the uh, matlocks, huge baits for me, for sure. Yeah, i've I've seen I've seen the matlocks catfish basically everywhere. I just don't believe that there's a body of water where they don't where they swim. You know, where muskies swim, that those matlocks can't catch muskies. And everyone's like, oh, those are too big. You know, northern Wisconsin guys or Wisconsin guys are like, yeah, ten inch bait, yeah. I've seen 30-inch muskies eat them, so I don't think that's a problem. Um, I, I am with you. I'm a believer. Matlocks are a solid bait. In fact, I I don't want to give away all my secrets, but I had talked recently about fishing Green Bay more, and I'm like, I wonder if anybody really runs those. That's not something you ever hear. You hear super shad wraps, small baits, tough shads, you know, all that shad-style stuff. But I'm like, you can't tell me that a Green Bay muskie that's 55 inches long wouldn't eat a matlock. I've seen 18-inch pike eat a 10-inch bait. They don't predict. I've seen pike eat, try and eat baits that are bigger than them. They're crazy. Yep. That's funny, Jeff, that you said going to Green Bay because I never trolled out there too much, and the few times I did, you know, the same thing. I've heard all small baits, and, and I guess they do work out there, obviously, but... Uh, the first time I went out there, I was with 10-inch Jakes, and we did really well on 10-inch Jakes out there. So, well, way way back in the day when I first started fishing Green Bay, that was all we ran. <laughs> That's what we started at. We started at 10-inch Jakes. I mean, that was a staple. You couldn't catch them without a 10-inch Jake, and then everything. It was bright and big, and then all of a sudden it went to small and natural, like blues and you know shad-colored stuff. It was really it's just a weird transition how that happened. Um, I don't know if maybe they just saw too many 10-inch jakes, and that's why they stopped biting them or what their deal was, but that used to be the thing. We used to run 10-inch jakes on Green Bay all the time, bright colors. I think a lot of a lot of times, Jeff, um, it's the fisherman that changes more than the fish, and um, I, I could tell you some of my old staples that I have thrown forever, um, they still work, you know what I mean? So it, it's bizarre to me, but I think fishermen – are the ones that change those rules and you get a little bit of noise or rave about a certain bait and um all of a sudden you forget about those old staples that really do produce fish well do you do much uh trolling at all up in northern wisconsin brian i don't do i i really don't do a ton of it but i do i mean we've done it a, a little bit in the last two weeks here and and it's done very well um it all depends on my clientele um, I enjoy it myself. Um, a lot of guys don't. Um, it's another way of putting fish in a boat, and it's not as easy as people think if you do it correctly. Um, but, yeah, we've done it well, and I know people were all worried when it came came back. And, uh, it's funny. I don't run into anyone out there trolling any lakes I go to, so it's not really a problem up here at all. And, um, you know, you can have up to three lines this year per boat. So, but you can have five guys, but still only three lines. Three lines your limit. So it's one per person up to three. 
So, I mean, it's not, you're not really raping too much. No, and, and like you said. I haven't seen any lakes where there's a bunch of trollers out raping the lake, so. Nope. Uh, most lakes that I, most lakes, if I'm trolling up in northern Wisconsin, I'm the only one on the lake trolling. There, it's Exactly. This year, we, we've done pretty well trolling, and the only guys I've seen trolling all year were the ones that were casting that had seen us out there trolling, and we caught a couple of fish, and next thing I see them out trolling around a little bit. Those were basically the only trollers I've seen all year. Well, it's really strange to me because, you know, you think about, um, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind about, like, Tom Gell, okay? He, he's a row troller, and... I think about how many big fish he produced doing that. And I don't, I don't understand the Northern Wisconsin mentality there where they're not trolling. Um, can you help me with that a little bit, Brian? I, I, you know, I, I find it really strange and you guys have such a great opportunity. You can run free. Right, right. Here I am. I'm trying to run a refugee boat. I've got as many on the boat as I can get because it's one line per well, person. Well, that's that's all we can do up there too, Brad. We can only troll one per person. We can only troll max. Like if we even had eight guys in the boat, we can't run eight lines like you guys can. We can only run three max. It doesn't matter how many guys we can. Yeah. So okay. we don't have the same now, opportunity. Now, if you were on Green Bay, though, we can run three lines. So Correct. And there are certain lakes up here. You know, like Forest County, I think you can. There's certain bodies of water you can, three per, per, per person. But, like, most of all violets when I end up Lincoln are pretty much all three, limit of three. Yep, but only one per one per person. So if I go out with me and one other person, we can only run two lines. Yep. Okay. But there's so a lot of suspended, you know, there's a lot of guys out here suspended throwing rubber and, um, pranks and everything and um i mean trolling you're just keeping the bait in the water and their strikes zone longer so i really don't know but it's just like you say that mentality they're just against trolling so yep That's, i've just always found it interesting and you guys just helped explain that you know because i'm thinking about well, three lines per guy or even two lines per guy i mean man you, you're really covering some water at that point exactly well even it you know i don't i I was a bit. I'm. I was big into trolling on Green Bay. I trolled up there a lot, so I thought when they opened up Northern Wisconsin that I would do a lot of trolling. But honestly, if you can only troll one line, sometimes if it's just me going solo, it's a lot harder to dial in a pattern than you'd think trolling. Like a lot of people thought it was super easy, and I thought, oh man, I'm going to be able to crush them up here. But I've found I found it's harder for me to develop a consistent trolling pattern in Northern Wisconsin than I anticipated it being, mostly because you don't have as many shots at at uh you know running a test essentially or you know having different variables like if i'm on green bay i can run you know multiple different depths i can run multiple different sizes and i can run multiple different colors whereas in northern wisconsin you're basically stuck to one bait so you got one size one color and one depth so it's been a lot more difficult for me to dial in a pattern doing it that way especially by myself um is that is that something that you've kind of seen too brian or do you have it figured out a lot better than i do um, I don't know if I would figure it out, but I mean, in the same way, if you're casting out suspended, you still only have one line, you know, so, I mean, you're still checking different baits, you're still throwing that rubber, you're still throwing that pounder, you're still, you know, you're still different stuff, what you're just doing with, you know, with your one bait, but generally, you know, you know, you're, you're either on the blanks, you're out on the mud flats or whatever, and I guess just from past, 
the lures that work, you start throwing them. And to me, you know, there's a, it's a no-brainer. Even with one line, if you're trolling, your lures are always in the water. You're going to get hit, you know. And if you're, you know, you're zigzagging and you're doing the things that make that lure work, it's just like casting, so. There's no doubt the efficiency of trolling is, I mean, it's way more efficient. You have your, I mean, if you're, if you know, you know, line lengths, where your bait's running depth wise, your bait can potentially be in the strike zone all the time. Where obviously if you're casting, it's not that way. The one thing I found though, is like, as much as I like, I liked trolling. I do like, it's just weird for me mentally. I don't like trolling with one line as much as I like casting with one line. I don't, it's, you know, it's more efficient to troll. You can cover a lot more water more efficiently than you can casting, but I don't know. I still like casting that way. And I, th- I actually thought when I was, when they opened up trolling in Northern Wisconsin, that I would do it all the time. And I actually find myself trolling far less than I ever did before. Um, like I said, it's just weird how mentally, if I'm on green Bay, I'm, I don't pick up, I don't cast that often because I'm like, well, I can run, if I'm by myself, I can run three lines. Like the efficiency on it is amazingly higher than if I can, if I'm just casting in one line. Um, but I don't know, just something in my head. I don't, I don't do a lot of trolling in and Wisconsin anymore. Spots, I mean, it's a no brainer, huge flats. I mean, are you going to sit there and cast? I mean, if you're a caster and you love casting and I love casting, I mean, I'd rather catch a fish casting too, but I mean, if there's huge flats, it's a no brainer. I mean, you got a bait running at that depth. One of the things that we talked about yesterday in the boat was, you know, I'm, I'm trolling out of a 24 foot boat. And one of the interesting things is. Imagine yourself, if you're standing on the back of that boat, 24 feet in front of you, it's really not that far. When we think about 20 foot of water, we think, wow, that's really, really deep. But it truly, truly isn't. And one of the things that I would I would say is when you're trolling, you know, I'm generally keeping my baits 10 feet or shallower in the water column. There's times when I'll go to 15, but... Uh, keep that keep that in mind a lot of times um i think you know we're we're trying to figure out what depth we should be trolling at but generally speaking um 20 feet 30 feet really isn't that far for these fish to move and actually see a bait right especially on clear water i mean that's one tail boom they can see that they're sitting on the bottom at 30 feet of water they can see the surface no doubt about it brian and i think as anglers we all forget about you know what that true distance is, you know, I mean, you think about a 17 foot boat, just think about that once and how far you're actually visually looking. It really is. That's funny how how you bring that up looking at your boats. That's exactly how I, how I used to look at it too. And, uh, you know, I used to fish the weeds and go in there. It's 15 feet. That was deep, 20 feet. Oh my God. But you look at my boat and it's like 21 feet. And I look and it's like, it's like really nothing. (laughs) It no, truly no, is. You just you brought it up, and it's kind of funny that I'm not the only one that looked at it that way. Well, the one thing that, you know, I, I'd rather be above them than below them, you know, and they're predator fish. They're, they're going to generally feed up, so it's something to really think about, you know. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I, I generally err on the high side, too. I think we might have talked about it before, but that's what I do. If, um, I mean, if, if you're, an, if you're going to approach an active muskie, like you guys just talked about for them to go from the front of your boat to the back of your boat, I, I put it this way. So one time I was fishing the Wisconsin river, I snagged a muskie in the tail and the amount of time it took for that thing to peel out 
a, probably a hundred feet of line and head off down river was like four seconds. So it doesn't take them long to close the gap on a, you know, if a muskie baits 10 feet above their head, if they want it, they can come up and get it pretty easy. Yep. There's no doubt. And there's times when you got to be right in their face. There's no doubt about it. But, um, if they're active, like you just said, Jeff, uh, there's nothing that's going to get in the way. Yep. hundred percent. Well, guys, I think we're approaching the hour mark today. And in an effort to try to keep these closer to an hour than an hour and a half and cut Brad, Brad down, um, let's get close to wrapping this one up. So, Jeff, I have so much more to say. Well, then I'll bring you back on another time if you want. <laughs> um, I guess one thing the listeners can do is email us. That way we have a better idea. We're assuming that an hour and a half podcast is pretty long, but I don't know. Maybe they like them. Maybe it's not enough information. So if you have a... Uh, if you have a suggestion on how long you think these podcasts should be, sometimes we just need it in order to talk, you know, in order to get that much information through. Other times we are kind of just BSing. So if um, people have an idea on how long they think a podcast should be, send us an email. The email that you'd reach us at would be backlashpodcast at gmail.com. Just let us know if you have um, if you have any suggestions on, on things like that. So... In order to wrap this one up, or get close to wrapping it up, Brian, we typically go about um, giving giving an actionable tip, something that either you've noticed or either helped put fish in the boat this year or in previous seasons. Can you get, you know, if somebody's fishing northern Wisconsin or anywhere, maybe, I mean, sure, it can probably apply to most places like we've talked about before, muskies are muskies are muskies, regardless of where they swim. Um, you got anything to offer that that's helped you, be, you know, put more fish in the boat? Well... Yeah, is there one thing? It's hard to say one, but uh, you know, I'm gonna throw a couple out there. I mean, learn your lures. You know, the depth that they want. Learn, you know, the cadence that you want to bring them in at. How they run the best. Um, just learn your lures, and then your bowl control. Don't run up on the spots. You know, bowl control is so important in musky fishing. And if you get those two down, you're worlds ahead. And the one thing that no one really thinks about is um, just the health and, you know, stretching before we fish. You know, all athletes stretch before they play football and baseball and everything else. We're out there throwing eight to 12 hours a day. I mean, I stretch before I go out. You know, I go to the gym and everything. I can sit out there all day long and, and throw. Um, if you stretch and, you know, keep peace and health, you can fish all day, and you can have the best lures in the world. You can fish the greatest spots, but if you're tired and you're sitting on your butt, you ain't catching anything. So I guess that would be my tip. I think that's great, Brian. You know, and, and my saying has always been, you can't catch fish off the couch. So exactly, time on the water is important, and uh, your health and uh, keeping yourself going is uh, a big part of that. I think that's that's a cool tip. Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, if I know it's going to be a long day, I mean, we stretch. I, I stretch before I go out, and, uh, you know, you're all tied up. You're, you're out there just slamming away for hours. Two hours, you're sitting down, your back's hurting you, and, I mean, you're not fishing. Like I said, you can have the greatest baits, you can fish the right spots, but if you're not fishing properly because your back's sore or something, you know. Yep. I guess those are my tips. I think what he's saying, Brad, is that you and I need to hit the gym. I think that's where he was going with that. I, I hit the gym uh, quite often, but uh, like twenty years ago, <laughs> uh, no, stretching, stretching. I still hit the gym, uh, but uh, it maybe doesn't look like it. I don't know. 
but uh, no, I think uh, I think it's all good stuff. And I do stretch every day. If I didn't, I would be locked up like none other. I've had a lot of back issues throughout my whole life. So I, if I don't stretch, I'm in a huge uh, pile of, of trouble. <laughs> right yeah, I guess that would be it, you know. All right. Well, Brian, if somebody's looking to get in touch with you about uh, booking a guide trip, what uh, is the best way to get in touch with you? Well, you can go on Facebook, Schaefer Outdoors. Otherwise, call me at 920-915-2650 or email at esox620 at gmail.com. Perfect. I think anybody that's heading up to that Northwoods area in northern Wisconsin owes it to himself. Um, You know, he is a super good angler and a great guide. And if you want to cut the learning curve, I, I would suggest going with Brian. I'm waiting for Brian to get a free day oh. to come over here. I need to fish in that boat again. <laughs> I'm still uh, kicking it. It's been a good boat for me too. So that's good. That that boat's that's a lucky boat. It is. That boat's got it's a lot. Been a good boat. Carrie, Carrie should share what she's caught out of that boat, actually. Um, that was one of my boats at one point. Uh, it was sold to... I was going to say, we need to tell people. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a 620, and um, uh, I ordered that boat specific for an old client of mine who became a really good friend. And lo and behold, Brian ended up with it. So it's kind of a neat neat story, but... Um, and then Brian now is a, a pro staffer for Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And it's pretty wild how things circle around and how small this world really is. But right. Carrie should share what uh, what her and Paul actually caught out of that boat. Um, oh. we, we went out, it was, was it September-ish or something? I don't know. But Paul took me out because all, all the professionals were busy. So Paul and I fished together a lot for that exact reason. Um, and we, I never get to go because I'm early because I have to work unlike some people in my household. Um, so we didn't get on the water till probably five and we fished till, and I think we quit about midnight, but as soon as it got dark, I moved one fish. Finally, we, we couldn't buy a fish until it got dark. I moved one fish and it was a good fish. And I went around in a circle and I came, lost it, came back around, and I hit the fish with my rod. And I went, oh, I blew my entire evening. I blew the whole evening. I blew my one shot. Well, it wasn't my one shot. I ended up catching a 51, a 50. We had a 47 and I think a 45 that night. And outfit fished all the professionals on the lake, which was Brad, Bill Beekner. <laughs> Kamernick. I think Greg was even out there that night. It's my only claim to fame. I have two fifties in one night. Nice. Well, thanks for the promotion if I ever want to sell this boat. Right? <laughs> that boat has a lot of 50-inch fish in it. Well, Brad said he wants it back when I'm done with it. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. That's <laughs> yeah, his collection. Right, yeah. We don't we don't need to collect anymore. Honestly. But, but yeah, I would love to have you come over here and fish with me once. Oh, I'd love that. I, I got to come over by you guys. I don't get much time to go to Wisconsin. Actually, I've never muskie fished in Wisconsin. I don't get time to go. So if you want never? to go, no, I've never fished in Wisconsin. Not for muskies. Oh. I've fished um, um, salmon 
I think that's the only thing I've ever fished in salmon. Oh. Or, yeah, on Lake Michigan. But, um, but yeah, I've never fished in Wisconsin. I, I don't get time to go there. I don't get time to go anywhere. Well, we got to make some time this summer, guys. <laughs> I was going to say, you just got to say, yeah, forget I- it, I'm going. That's yep. I'm waiting for Brian to say, forget it, I'm going, and then I'll jump in the boat with him here. Deal. All right. You let me know when you got time. I'll make sure there's room at the, in the inn. All right. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty nice accommodations, Brian. I've been there a couple times. You, 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 yeah, you heard it, Jeff. Yep. I'm not kidding. I'd love to fish in that boat again. I'd, I'd like to fish with Brian, too, and the boat. But, but yeah, I think it'd be fun. Well, maybe maybe this fall we need to schedule some time where uh, Jeff and Brian can come over and we can do a little bit of fishing together. Sounds good to me. Well, we'll see if I'm not divorced by then. My wife's kind of been handling the show for, for the last <laughs> three weeks. I can't. You you could bring you could bring Mel with. She probably won't fish, and then who's going to take care of the businesses and the kids? Yeah, might be divorced. Still have time, but you just want to have no more money. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I I owe, I owe everything to her for the last couple of weeks. We had a really good month of June, and I've been on the road a good portion of it. I'm only back home for a little bit over here over the Fourth of July, and then I go to Minnesota. I'm gonna fish with Noah Binsfield on a river, and then I come home for a few more days, and I go up by uh, Northern Wisconsin again to fish with Jeff Vandermortel, and then I'm home for like two weeks, and I go to Hayward to fish with Steve. And then that's it for a little while. I got most of my fishing out of the way for the season. Actually, when I was over at your place, me and you were talking, and she was just busting her butt, so I'll have to agree with you. Right? Yep, she was. She always does. Like I said, she claims that I'm more important to the business than she is, but at this point, I don't know. I just watched her run it for about two weeks straight without me, so I'm thinking that she doesn't need me much anymore. Maybe to shoot some videos for her and do a podcast. That's about it. Well, I can't say that it's much different here in this household, Jeff. So, you know, I wasn't going to say nothing, Brad. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Brian. But it's okay. But, Everybody knows it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the truth. Without uh, the significant other behind the scenes, uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. That's a hundred percent fact. So, anyways, with that being said, I think we can put a cap on this one. I'm Jeff Widman. I run a company called Team Rhino Outdoors. We have a website that we sell probably the majority of the major manufacturers in the musky world. We carry uh, about 90% custom colors, but in the last year or so, we spent more time um, diving into like the stock colors, the stuff you'd find more everywhere. So that way, if you're looking for something custom, come visit us. If you're looking for something else that you'd be able to find a lot of places, come grab a black and orange bulldog and some custom colors. We have all that. You can find us at TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. You can find us on Facebook at Team Rhino Outdoors. You can find us on Instagram, Team Rhino Outdoors. You can find us on YouTube, Team Rhino Outdoors. And I'll hit the stuff for the Backlash Podcast. So we have a Facebook page, and that is Backlash Podcast. We have an Instagram page, and that's be the same. I already gave out the email address earlier, and that is BacklashPodcast at gmail.com. Um, if you have any questions that you would like us to answer on a podcast, shoot us an email. If you have any suggestions for us, shoot us an email. If you're listening on iTunes and you feel inclined, give us a rating. Uh, we prefer good ones, but we can accept bad ones too. Um, I, I'm told ratings help us out. And I think that's about it for me. 
Brad, Carrie, why don't you guys talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle, and we'll get on with our evenings, because it's, I don't know, probably quarter to 11 o'clock at night, and I got some yard work I got to do, so why don't you guys wrap it up? You're the only guy I know that does yard work at uh, 11 o'clock at night, but I get it, Jeff. That's your schedule. That goes back to our previous discussions. I haven't been home that often. It's been humid as heck and raining, and the grass is growing, so I cut it tonight because we need to have an appraisal done on the house. And the thing's a freaking hayfield, so I probably think if somebody's going to come over and take pictures of the house and appraise the house, it should probably look better than it does right now. So I either need to do it 11 o'clock tonight or I need to do it at 5 o'clock in the morning because i got to go wire stuff tomorrow. I haven't done that in, I don't know, five days. The sacrifices, right? Yeah, it's, it's tough, but you know what? I, I'm not complaining. I'm, well, I'm kind of complaining, but I'm really not complaining. It's, part, it's just part of the job. Put the headlamp on and start raking. Well, fortunately, I'm an electrician, so I think I can see just about every spot on my house with some sort of spotlight. And when I built the new shop... Yeah, I think I see spotlights all oh, yeah. over there. Yeah, so I should be able to get it taken care of yet without any any lights. It should be fine. I mean, any, any the neighbors headlamp. neighbors love them. Well, the plus side, my neighbors are my in-laws, so I don't think they're going to have a problem with it. And the other neighbors, I think, are my wife's aunt and uncle, so I don't think they'll be mad either. should be fine. So what you're saying, Jeff, is when you light everything up, you, it looks like a UFO landing in your yard? Yeah, I would say. <laughs> yeah. uh, good stuff. Well, it's Brad and Carrie Hoppy from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. Um, what we do is uh, build a lot of non-bucktails as well as the regular bucktails, and and one thing I think I forgot to mention uh, recently is that we uh, we gained uh, the rabbit squirrel line this spring, and some of those are available at a bunch of different retailers, so check those out as well. But what we're mostly known for is big bladed bucktails. So you can reach us through muskymayhemtackle.com, uh, find our website, and email us there, or you can find us on Instagram as well as Facebook. So love to answer any questions and another side note if anybody's looking for um you know if you want to know about musky mayhem tackle team rhino outdoors and brian do you have a website too or not no i do not okay. just facebook page. well typically then i'll i usually in all the show notes i'll link um my website i'll link brad and carrie's website and i'll link the guest website so in this case i'll link i'll put a link to brian's facebook page right in the show notes too. So if you guys want to check that stuff out, it's one click right there. You can find it real easy too. And where, where are we all available, Jeff? Cause I think you missed that. I did. You're right. We are available on the two most important, the two most popular places we're found would be iTunes and Spotify. But then you can also find us in on Google play, Stitcher, TuneIn radio, Podbean, And I think that's it. Most, Good stuff. Most everywhere podcasts are found. Well, I guess with that being said, I'm going to go and take care of some 9 or 11 p.m. yard work and get my house cleaned up for tomorrow, and I can go to work in the morning. And uh, I appreciate you coming out spending some time with us tonight, Brian. As always, I appreciate Brad and Carrie coming yeah, on. Thank and you guys for having them. me. No doubt, man. It's always fun, and uh, thank you, Brian, for jo- joining us. It was a good time. Yeah, thank you guys for having me, for sure. It was. Uh, I'll be seeing you soon. That sounds good. Thank you all for coming out and listening to the Backlash podcast. Brad, have a safe trip 
to uh, out west. I think Carrie's going with you too, and um, then have a good trip to Canada. We'll probably won't talk to you guys for another couple weeks because we got a few episodes in the can, so we're good for a little bit. But you guys have a safe Fourth of July holiday, and we'll catch you all next time. All right, take care, everybody. All right.